This is Takeaway Only, a podcast about the hospitality industry in crisis. I'm Howie Kahn, and these are the stories of the people who take care of you. Today's guest is Anna Dunn, a restaurant veteran and gifted writer who began working at Diner in Brooklyn 15 years ago. Anna has done all the jobs there from manager to editor, and now Anna is taking on a broader role, addressing the needs of their industry and the people who keep it going by launching the Service Workers Coalition. Anna is here to discuss its origins and how restaurant work has shaped their identity. We're back tomorrow with an all-new guest. Please hit subscribe so you don't miss it. Stay tuned now for Anna. Hi, Anna. Hi, how's it going? Thanks for having me. I'm happy you're here. It's, It's great to see you. We connected a bit to talk last week about your work on on a great new initiative called the the Service Workers Coalition, which you described as starting kind of haphazardly and has now grown into a uh, charitable organization with some real muscle and money behind it. Can you tell me how what haphazardly means and how it's grown? Yeah, sure. Um, It's funny how like um, thinking about things in retrospect, you end up making a lot of choices you didn't know you were making and that feels haphazard. But um, basically, three, me and two of my colleagues at Diner um, got together like a couple days before the um, official shutdown of restaurants for lunch. I think what had happened was we had heard the term social distancing and obviously like that's a very necessary and kind of only way through this, but we all knew that that was going to wreak havoc on our Um, day-to-day lives, given that we work in a social industry, one that's full, relies on people and um, is full, rooms full of people. So um, I think Kelly Sullivan, who um, is one of the three people who started this with me and Seamus Branch, and I um, had lunch. We both kind of had different like things that we were worried about. Um, I think Kelly was really worried about the like kind of emotional impact on our industry. Like we are social creatures, most of us who work in restaurants. Um, we rely on each other for each other's like well-being, and you know, like I think she was really concerned with people being isolate, feeling isolated, and not having um, resources for help. I was really concerned about um, what was going to happen to people financially, even if they had like kept the restaurants open and only had them like half full. That meant lots of hours being cut for people, less tips, etc less positions in the back of the house most likely. So, and I think Seamus was really worried about what was going to happen to people as they got sick and couldn't work. So we came together and had lunch and we're talking it through and like thinking about how we wanted to offer support for our like direct community, people we worked with, you know, um, and we started this mutual aid fund, which um, started with a Venmo, an email account and an Instagram. Um, That was kind of just like what we, ran with we posted about it that day um i was kind of like asking people to think about if they could work at home um what they would be spending on tips per week and donating that to us just as like a way to like help float people for a while i think we thought we were going to raise around two thousand dollars and um be delivering groceries on bikes to our friends and stuff like that um but you know then three days later everybody lost their jobs um and the fund um, gained a lot of momentum. We had some like 
press in the beginning. I think that really helped, but we raised about $80,000 in about a month and a week. And um, that was incredible and really, really moving, um, especially because those in particular, that first push of donations were, were donations in increments of $5 to $20. So that to us meant that it was other workers, people who were um, job insecure or, um, you know, whatever, reaching out to each other and like saying like, we can build this safety net together. Um, and it was really important. It was kind of like, it was an important moment because um, it was as people were scrambling to um, figure out if they qualify for unemployment, what it means to try to get those access to those benefits. We were able to say like, here's 50 bucks for groceries. Um, and I should say like, we decided on this like matrix of care because even though like in the first week we raised about 20 K we thought, wow, that's a lot of, that's a lot of money. Right. But then we looked around and we thought like, well, that person won't be able to pay rent and that person won't be able to pay rent. That person won't be able to pay their medical bills. That person's going to lose their health insurance. Like 20 K is a lot, but it's not also in terms of like how this was really going to devastate people. So we thought like everybody's going to have to buy groceries. They are all going to have grocery receipts. We can just offer this like $50 a week to like try to take that off the plate, so to speak, to kind of like alleviate any like actual, anxiety about um, feeding oneself or, you know, just getting any support whatsoever as people kind of scrambled to like find their way through it. So it, it, um, it felt haphazard in that we didn't necessarily plan on doing this. And like, we made a bunch of choices every week or even maybe every day, kind of like in terms of like responding to what we saw coming down the pipeline. And we certainly were just slightly ahead of it. And I think that was really lucky. Um, in terms of like the way we could offer resources or we do still offer resources, but. I have three things floating around in my head kind of as a result of, of everything you were saying. And, and one of them is perfectly related and is a good follow-up question. And I have, I have two other points that are a little bit more tangential, um, but I want to hear the answers anyways. The first thing I want to mention is, is Kelly has a terrific podcast too called FOH front of the house. And I just, I just want to shout that out cause I like it. I enjoy it. Um, the other thing, I just want to know where you guys were having lunch. It was in a, it <laughs> yeah. was it was in a restaurant. I like talking about the days of restaurants. Yeah, it was at Egg, which was, um, you know, which is a wonderful restaurant that was very like supportive of the program um, immediately, like at that lunch, um, and subsequently, like they've they've been supportive, and we've been supporting people who work there. So yeah, and then we actually like that day went to diner for like the meeting about what COVID-19 was going to mean for restaurants. And of course, nobody knew, even though you knew, like even though you knew it was there kind of like, and certainly we had like been watching what was happening in, in like places like Italy and stuff like that. But like, um, I think that there was a little bit of, of people hoping it wasn't going to get as bad as it obviously has here, but. Yeah. It's good to have the scene in, in my head. I just like to think of people in, in restaurants. So the, the more journalistic question and the, and the better follow-up uh, that I want to ask is just to kind of explain a little bit about your own background in the hospitality industry and, uh, you know, all your your years of, of doing so many things at Diner um, and being so deeply involved in 
that world are obviously what gave you the empathy and the awareness to try to start something. You know why people need help. So give me some background. When did you start doing this? What have, what have you learned? What do you know about, you know, what's wonderful about this? And what do you know about the way people are vulnerable as a result of working in this industry? Yeah, those are good questions. I um, Again, like I have this feeling of haphazardness, but I started working at Diner when I was about 25. So um, 15 years ago. And um, I was running like a small poetry publishing kind of like um, group. And I was, I lied and said I was a morning person. So I was a barista, I got a barista job, which um, was maybe not the best fit for me. But um, they, at the, in the same kind of time era, they started a magazine called Diner Journal. Um, and so I, you know, like I hated being a barista, but I loved being there because there was a real cast of characters. Um, and by characters, I mean wonderful people who were working there who would become like my mentors in a lot of ways. Um, you know, obviously Andrew Tarlow and Caroline Fidanza and um, Rebecca Collerton and so many other people who like I, I learned mostly about being a human from, you know, which, through a restaurant, which is an interesting thing. Um, but yeah, so I was like the resident writer barista. And so I took over the diner journal as, as editor. Um, and what that meant is basically like we would get together and put like, I would just ask people around me who were working in the restaurants, like, what kind of art do you make? Or what kind of, do you want to write about something? And then we would just synthesize it into this magazine. We did that for a decade, which, um, which was a really important part of my life. And I feel really lucky. So during all of that, I've also became um, a bartender. I was managing, I kind of like would come in, like leave and then come back. And Andrew was always like making new restaurants. So I had different things to do. Um, and then we have done a couple, I've done a couple cookbooks, one with Caroline for Salty and one with Andrew um, called Dinner at the Long Table. And we're working on a new one now. Um, and then beyond that, I started to, um, I started a program at Rikers Island where I was doing almost the same thing with the magazine, which was that I, with a group of incarcerated women, um, we would make a, like a hand, almost like a handmade kind of magazine or journal, which included recipes and different things like that. And then, um, yeah. So how does this all relate? I also work for this place called the center for fiction, which, um, is a wonderful nonprofit, um, creative organization and help them with like bar and restaurant kind of stuff. So, so how did I anticipate what was going, how it was going to have this like profoundly devastating effect on people is that in working in, in these like really social ways, both the magazine and the restaurants, um, I could see that, that, they they are community spaces because they necessitate taking care of each other. Not only is it part of the business model, right? Like somebody comes in, you acknowledge their personhood and you help them, you know, make choices, you know, in an ideal situation. That's not always the case, but, um, and that's how people in restaurants thrive. They take care of each other. And, and I was very concerned that outside of that, without that model, people would, um, really suffer. And I think about this thing about the margins of restaurants all the time, how people say they're quite thin. And then, you know, when you think about 
what that means for somebody who works in a restaurant, what the margins of their lives are, it's very scary. And, you know, like the grocery stipend, I think we thought of as something that was like an easy way to like necessitate getting money into people's hands. But it was really staggering to see how many people actually needed money for groceries immediately. And that's something I'm really proud of is that we offered support not only like um, consistently, but immediately. So like everybody gets the stipend within two or three days of the request. And, you know, like, I think there's all sorts of wonderful things happening and grants and all sorts of support, but there's like this lag time that creates all this anxiety. So we've been really invested in like immediately communicating with the requests, um, which, you know, is like, just like what happens at a restaurant, you know, there's <laughs> diner, which is um, obviously one of my favorite places. People sit down and they immediately, if you don't tell them that there's no menu, they start to have a panic attack, you know? So, um, yeah, so I think that like just applying the ways that we try to care for each other in our work to this fund has been um, very helpful and useful. You said that working in a restaurant taught you to be human. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can you unpack um, that a little bit? It's a big statement, and I'm curious what it what it means yeah, for sure. you. Um, well, in certain ways, it taught me lots of skills, right? So how to cook, how to relate to other people, how to like help other people, how to clean things, how to like make coffee, how to like make drinks, all of the things that like um, are quite useful now that I have to stay home all the time. Um, but also I think um, they're challenging. Restaurants are very, restaurant work is very challenging work. Um, and I think that it doesn't get the due that it deserves because there is something that's transformational about the ability to, I guess what I said earlier is like to greet somebody's personhood in this like strange transaction is I think what made me really scared about social distancing. We live here in New York city and I can't tell you how many times I've been on a train and somebody started to have a really hard time in their lives. And I watched people turn away from them and I didn't want, and you know, like in a restaurant, you can't do that. You have to address a problem if there is one with kindness and with like you know responsibility and to take care of people who i mean restaurants are often wonderful fun places sometimes there's something really bad happening and you have to like acknowledge it so i think in terms of like how it yeah it just i grew up in them you know like and that and i and i had a lot of like strange and like i think like um, shame about working in restaurants because I thought like this is what people do when they don't do what they're supposed to do but that's not true actually it's what taught me how I, how to be and how to do what I what I need to do in the world so um, yeah I guess that's kind of it in a nutshell I think there's probably all sorts of other ways that it helped me learn about the world but among the million reasons that I love diner it's it's um it's a really special restaurant to me it's it's more like a, a love than than a restaurant to tell you the truth but out of all the things I, I really get about that place is it's it's really a restaurant that encourages personhood in in its staff you know you guys are empowered to do different creative things so many people who have worked there over the years have had other full-blown careers now as artists as musicians as as writers and even even from within you guys have always produced this really strong magazine you've always had this really strong aesthetic and this really kind of strong bond between all of you 
um, for accepting what's the same about you guys and for accepting your, your differences too. It's, um, it's, it's, it's everything I like about a restaurant. It's, it's actually, it's, it's emotional to talk about because I can't go. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But that's so nice to hear. I think, um, you know, so often you can get stuck in the thing that you are doing and it's wonderful to hear people acknowledge what is special about it from, um, you know, any vantage point. So I, I'm really so glad to hear that. I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people feel that way. Um, I want to talk about the diner book a little bit, but I know that um, the, the Servers Workers Coalition is kind of going into a phase two of, of your initiative right now. So can you sure. tell me what's, what's coming up, what's new, where people can donate, what they're donating yeah. to? Yeah. So, um, so we, you know, kind of like, not quickly, but we did start to, our funding kind of depleted because it's all from individual donors. Um, we stopped and fund raised for a week and kind of like, um, I wouldn't say like pivoted, but we slightly changed the kind of like format for the requests in, in which we are trying to prioritize people who are undocumented um, or don't have bank accounts or have become ill or, you know, like, uh, don't have access to any benefits. So, and it's interesting, like in the last couple of weeks as, as like people have gained kind of like footing in this kind of nightmarish moment, um, we've seen people who have benefited from the fund come back and donate or offer their support um, or kind of like return stipends and say like, you know, like I know there are people out there who are suffering right now. So I wanted to turn this back around and, and give again. Um, so, we're honoring every request. We're just kind of like, we have now a series of questions that just ask like where you're at and like what, um, what your need looks like. Is it within 48 hours is it within a week? Like how can we like facilitate like people who are really like on the edge here? Um, so we've done that. We are, we filed as a 501c3 and incorporated. So we are waiting on a tax ID to become a totally official nonprofit. And I think that's, that was a choice that we made I think our practices kind of like are in mutual aid, but we are interested in trying to help as many people as we can. If that means we need to um, offer things like tax deduct deductions for larger donations and, and go after grants, then we're going to do that too in order to facilitate um, the most amount of help for people. So um, yeah, we are currently taking donations uh, through a Venmo. It's at BK Service Coalition. And then we are starting a website, serviceworkerscoalition.org. And then we are going to launch an IOBY campaign that will um, offer tax deductions while we're waiting for the IRS. I mean, this is all kind of like tedious stuff, but we're starting a new campaign, fundraising campaign. I think that's great. Do you think your uh, organization will transcend this, this moment? You think this is something you'll now be involved with going forward? This will be one of the things that you do? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think that um, it's evolving, you know, like me and Seamus and Kelly immediately were like, we're doing this and then we're shutting it down, you know, <laughs> and we're going back to work. Um, I think that we don't know yet. I think, I think we're really interested in like thinking about different ways that we can offer support now that this grocery stipend has been able to do this and like what other dynamic ways can we do that and we don't know how long this is going to last you know so I think that we're committed to doing this work for the duration of this crisis and then I think it may evolve into something else I'm personally committed to advocacy work um so I will be doing that and I think you know 
I don't know if it's this organization or a different type of work, you know, reconfiguring, but yeah, I think it will carry through. I think one of the interesting things to come out of this conversation, which is really about this moment is people are now being asked, um, by forms like the ones you guys are distributing to um, articulate exactly what they need. And that's something people have a lot of trouble with. It's it's largely because the question isn't uh, directly asked in, in, in a way that's that dead on. But I, I think one of the things people may come out of... Um, this moment with is an ability to, to state their needs. There is the possibility that a lot of the people who needed grocery help now needed help with groceries anyways, but were never able to say it or had medical bills, you know, piling up to the ceiling, but nobody around them ever knew that that was something that they were dealing with. I, I think there is an openness being created, you know, surrounding all of our problems. And that's kind of good. It makes us all more human, right? Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think the, you know, the ways that the ways that people are ashamed of what they of how they might need support. You know, I'll just tell this kind of like short personal kind of narrative about that, but I um had top surgery last year and I really struggled with being able to allow my community, which are really like my family, you know, I have a wonderful family and I have this kind of created family. Um, I couldn't articulate my needs, even though I could anticipate them, you know, as simple as like walking the dog or taking the trash out. And through that process, I found that there was like this incredible wave of relief and kind of power in saying like, I can't do this. And allowing somebody else to do it for me was a gift in both ways, you know, in both directions. And I do hope, I think that like, you know, obviously in this moment, um, (laughs) societal wise and politically, it's very hard to feel optimistic or hopeful. And I've been, you know, hearing the sentence in my head over and over again, which is that like, I don't really believe in much anymore, but I do believe in each other and, you know, and like, in the other, in the person next to you reaching out and helping you and, and what, how powerful that is. And yeah, so I, I really am, that's kind of interesting. I think that I would like to be able to do more work just in, in ways of like eradicating shame around what people might need because everybody needs, and that's, that's a common denominator that we can all accept any one in each other instead of like allowing it to like, do damage to us because we're ashamed or afraid or something like that. I think that would be really powerful, honorable work. Um, I want to change the the, the tone and the topic just a little bit, because I want to talk about the new diner book that you guys are working hard on and um, should be out into the world sooner than later. Um, that's, that's the timeline I'm working. That's the timeline I'm working on sooner than sooner than later. What's exciting about that for you? Yeah, well, um, the most exciting thing to me is, um, the, the people that I get to work with on it. <laughs> um, Caroline Fidanza is doing recipe testing and recipe work. So that's really thrilling. You know, like she is, first of all, one of my favorite writers, but certainly, um, makes the food I love the most. And yeah. She's people. the opening, opening night chef, yeah. the, the cassoulet. Yeah. Exactly. You know, you know, you're, you've done your homework. 
Um, and my and my colleague and friend Julia Gillard um, is photographing it. We were bartenders together at Diner for a really long time, and I've been a huge fan of her work. She um, was the photo editor of the Diner Journal for a long time, and I yeah, I'm just really thrilled to have her um, take the lead in these and the photographs. And of course, Andrew and our friend Becky Johnson um, is the doing the design. So it's. Um, and it's, it's, you know, Diner is a magical place in a certain way, a lot of ways. And so it's really fun to um, try to push the limits of what a cookbook is in, this, in the ways that Diner pushes the limits of what a restaurant is. So um, we've been having a lot of fun and um, hopefully we'll get back to it soon. Also, it was kind of funny because we were shooting in the restaurant when it was empty and we thought, wow, it's so weird to be in this empty restaurant which now it is, but hopefully not for long. I think I'd really like Diner to be my, my first restaurant meal back in, in restaurants. Oh, if, yeah, uh, yeah I, I think that, that, would, that would certainly make sense for me. I don't know when that moment comes, but I, uh, I think about it, you know? I think about being in one of those booths near, near the door. I kind of like the one um, closest to the bathroom, actually. It's just kind of... Table like, one. Yes, yeah. that's I like, one. I, li I like table one. Um, I like the action over there. Yeah. A lot of good things have happened in that. Station. You get to watch everybody. Yeah. You yeah. can really see the whole, whole restaurant. Um, and our show's called Takeaway Only. What's your big takeaway from fundraising, from working, from living through this moment? The takeaway for me is to figure out ways beyond social distancing to be together and to find solace and hope in that. I'll take it. I'll be searching for that right along with you. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for being here and for all the great work you're doing. Well, this was really fun. Thanks, Howard. That was Anna Dunn. You can follow Anna on Instagram at glowing like a gas lamp, and you can follow the Service Workers Coalition at Service Workers Coalition. Thank you so much for listening. Takeaway Only is produced by Casey Khan, Rob Corso, and me, Howie Khan, for Freetime Media. Our logo is by Reynald Philippe at Beepoles. Music by John Palmer. Special thanks to Kristen Millar, Antoine Ricardou, Raphael Weil, and to the whole team at Welcome. Check out their important community building work at welcomeconference.org. We're back tomorrow. This is Takeaway Only. Takeaway Only.